Welcome to Changeable. This is episode number 157, Freedom from Derealization, Orthorexia, and Other Shapes Anxiety Takes with Lily Sace. You're tuned in to Changeable with Dr. Amy Johnson. Changeable podcast is all about breaking habits, ending anxiety, and the ironic way change really works. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Hey there, welcome back to Changeable. So my guest today is Lily, and Lily and I have a lot in common in terms of uh, our history with anxiety. Hers a little more recent and and um, a little different than mine for sure. But I I found talking with her just so much um, so much in common, especially about the childhood stuff. It's always interesting, I think, to talk with someone who felt the way that you did as a kid or, you know, as much as words can help us see, it sure sounded by listening to her that we felt similarly as children. And I, I don't know, I, I kind of love that. I kind of um, feel like, oh yeah, there's just certain ways that minds tend to go. And when they go that way, certain things tend to happen. And so finding someone I think who has has had a similar similar experiences and stuff again, especially from an early age. It for me, it's always a little bit more confirmation of like, wow, this is not personal. This is there are only you know so many thoughts possible. There's so many ways to react to things, and and we find ourselves really like, oh yeah, me too. And I think it just, in my view anyway, kind of confirms that we all have a computer in our head that works in a handful of ways and we are not that. So it's always like a lot of confirmation of like, okay, none of this has anything to do with us. Your mind told you similar things to what my mind told me and then we had similar results. And both of us, Lily and I, fortunately, have had a lot of change from what our minds used to say. So that's what we'll talk about in this episode. Um, Lily has experienced anxiety in a lot of different forms. And I love that she talks about it that way. So she could come on here and say, oh yeah, I've gotten through um, separation anxiety and panic disorder and OCD and orthorexia and health anxiety and derealization and all kinds of things as if these are all separate things. And unfortunately, some people would see it that way. And you can feel how, oh my gosh, like all of those separate different things what a heavy burden that would be but I, but i love how she really sees like no it, it's just anxiety <laughs> you know it shows up in different costumes in different ways it manifests in different forms but it's all the same thing it's all the same thing showing up in different ways and that's really why i wanted lily to come on the podcast because i know she's experienced many of these and that she really does see it all as the same thing. And I think that's so helpful to hear. So um, she'll talk about her struggles and she'll talk about how things have started to look really, really different and feel really different to where she no longer feels like she has to manage her sleep and her like diet and all of these things just in order to avoid a feeling of anxiety because she sees that, first of all, those things can't, create a feeling of anxiety. And second of all, if she feels anxious, it's okay. It's okay. You know, she'll talk about how she's 
seen so much around um, how every time she's felt anxious, she's made it through. So now it just looks like she has so much resilience rather than that she is or was up against so much stuff. So um, Lily now helps people with anxiety, which I'll, I'll share links to her Instagram and TikTok. She's huge on TikTok, has a giant following and her videos are really, really good. So I'll share some links to that in the show notes. And she's also a school psychologist who shared this new paradigm um, in her school, which is amazing. So enjoy this conversation with Lily. Hi, Lily. Thank you so much for coming on Changeable. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited. I'm a huge fan. Oh, yeah. I think this is going to be great. I'm, I'm a huge fan of yours too. I just, uh, I just learned about you fairly recently that I've seen all the videos and TikToks and stuff that you do. And I just think it's so cool that I, and we'll, we'll share that with everyone in case people um, haven't seen all that, that I, I love when, um, I love when people, like it's one of my passions is making this, this way of seeing things really accessible, really simple. And you're doing an awesome job at that. Oh, thank you. Thank you. And I'm inspired by you. And I think for me, it seems a little bit easier to do a 10 second video. Um, but I, um, yeah, I mean, the three principles changed my life, my way of dealing with anxious thoughts. And so if I can help anybody and make them feel less alone, then I feel like my job is done. <laughs> yeah, that's great. Uh, I wish I could do something in 10 seconds. <laughs> I think that's the harder way. So, hey, it's perfect, right? We all just do whatever we can do. <laughs> and yeah, then we get yeah. a variety of everything. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We all have our, our gifts. And I, oddly, making silly videos comes easily to me. Um, not that mine are the best, but it's, um, I have endless ideas for videos. <laughs> that's cool. That's awesome. So um, yeah, so maybe just tell everyone a little bit about yourself. And I, I would love to hear, um, yeah, a little bit about kind of what you do now. I know you, you help people with anxiety, but you're also a school psychologist. Uh, yeah, let's start there. Okay, great. Well, I was an anxious little girl, um, probably, you know, more sensitive than others. Although as I, my insights get deeper, and I am more mentally relaxed. I actually am less sensitive, but I think just by nature, I may be more sensitive to noises. You know, I would cry with loud noises and vacuum cleaners as a baby um, and, and whatever. So I was, I often felt, I think, different as a younger child and embarrassed and like something was wrong with me. Um, but I didn't really have disordered anxiety in that I was able to function relatively normally. Um, but I did have, you know, social anxiety and um, it would manifest physically. So I actually had ulcers in high school and then, you know, just more, I don't know, I'm like debating how far to go, but, you know, I would probably like self-medicate too and also focus on trying to perfect my body and, you know, just disordered eating and, and all of that that kind of gets muddied up with anxiety and anxious thinking and perfectionism. Yeah. Um, so I really wanted to go into mental health and I wanted to work with children because I love kids. I've, I, I wanted a baby since I was about 14, <laughs> you know, and I would just, so I just couldn't wait to have kids. And I just really wanted to work with children. And then when I heard about being a school psychologist, I had majored in psychology. And when someone was coming and talking about kind of 
postgraduate careers. Um, somebody had mentioned school psychology and I thought I, I knew I wanted to be a mom. It sounded like a great job for a mom that had to work mm-hmm. and I got get to work with kids. Um, so I studied to be a school psychologist mm-hmm. and I've been doing that for 12 years and I'm the lead school psychologist in my district. Um, and in and out my time in college and grad school, I, you know, had a lot of treatment for anxiety. Um, you know, I was formally diagnosed with generalized anxiety disorder, ADHD, depression, and panic disorder, you know, 20 years ago. And then would go in and out of finding things that worked for me and finding things that didn't. Um, and, and I think my anxiety took a more severe turn when I honestly, I guess I wasn't diagnosed with panic disorder all back then. I had my first panic attack. Um, I'm trying to think of when, I guess that was like, 10 years ago. And that really ramped things up. My panic attacks involved derealization, which, or depersonalization. And if people don't know, that's often when like your surroundings seem really weird. It's kind of like an out of body experience. It can vary for people, but it felt like kind of like I was high, but I wasn't. And just it, you know, this unreality. And I had before had a fear of going insane because there is, um, mental illness in my family and just kind of how it's portrayed in media and talked about my grandma, they would say, Oh, she just went crazy. And I was always like, it's going to happen to me. And when do you just go crazy? So when I experienced a panic attack with derealization, I was like, Oh my gosh, like, is this it? Um, and as people know with panic attacks, then you have one and then you often have so many more because you don't want them and you try to prevent them and you resist them and you push against them and you're hypervigilant. So that began like a different level to my mental well-being and mental health. And I tried so many different things, you know, some that were helpful and gave me great insights, but nothing that was really that long lasting. And I think a lot of it was just like my, my understanding of human psychological functioning um, and a lot of fear. And I kept thinking like, tell me what to do so I can be perfect and never experience anxiety. And Um, and then one day after trying something else, you know, I mean, I had tried everything and I also felt like I needed to maybe meditate all the time. And so I would get certified to teach meditation and yoga in schools and to children. I thought if I could just meditate all the time and, you know, I would reach this mentally relaxed place. And also if I could be trained in cognitive behavioral therapy and do that throughout the day. Um, and a lot of it was just kind of fear of my experience, but so I'm happy to go into more that I tried, but then I found the three principles um, about five years ago. It was, I hadn't really ever thought about it that way. It was like, there was much less to do. And just hearing about this approach to mental health and mental well-being was just life-changing. And I slowly started not trying as hard. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, I mean, I guess other parts that I left out were um, I had an eating disorder on and off. And then I developed um, orthorexia, which is an obsession with health food because I had health anxiety and all forever. And then after having kids, it ramped up and I got really into paleo and primal style eating and, and living, making my own beauty products, making all my own food and thinking if I eat, if I do this perfectly, I can prevent mental and physical illness and myself and my family. Um, it actually just increased my anxiety and made my health deteriorate, just the perfectionism that I brought with it. Yeah. Um, and I just, everything that I did to try to 
keep myself safe, um, made my life really small. Um, and I just felt really different. So when you were a kid with this, um, mm-hmm. how do you, like now that you look back on it, does it feel or look to you like, um, like you said, you were kind of sensitive and still are maybe. So there's certain things that just predispositions, like temperaments, things like that, that we sure seem to come into the world with, you know, that like, how does that look to you now? Does it look like you were sort of anxious as long as you can remember and it's because of this sensitivity that you sort of got caught up in things or were there other things that happened when you were young or I'm just curious how that whole thing looks. Yeah, I think I didn't realize how safe I was. Um, The world seemed really scary to me if I heard I didn't know about the nature of thought. If I thought if I had a thought and I had a strong feeling to go with it, that somehow made that thought more true. Mm-hmm. You know, what I didn't leave out is I, I just, I would hear of somebody breaking into somebody's house. And I just, it was like, I just thought someone was going to break into our house all the time. Yeah. And so my mom would, you know, which is what I do, leave the windows open, leave the doors open. And I was just, I was so freaked out. It was as if like robbers were just like, you know, uh, casing the joint like all the time. And so I just was on this high alert. And I, I also felt like, because my parents were relaxed, like somehow they weren't really going to protect me. I just thought they were going to abandon me all the time. And this might be my predisposition to hearing the news, you know, they would have the news on or we'd watch a show where, you know, Punky Brewster, the, her mom abandoned her. And I was like, my mom, I just, I really just thought it. And I didn't, I didn't know that I didn't have to take my thoughts so seriously. Yeah. And so my parents would also go out to, to dinner a lot. They would travel a lot. And I would just have a thought, they're going to die. And then I would feel sad. And I somehow thought like, maybe this is a premonition. Um, so I think now how I see it is I didn't know about thought. Yeah. I didn't know that we don't have to take our thoughts so seriously and that all of our feelings are from thoughts. And it doesn't mean that it's more true. I didn't know how safe I was or how safe my parents are, or that me worrying wasn't going to, wasn't going to do anything. Yeah. Um, and, and I guess in terms of the sensitivities, um, I see now when I just, I'm a bit more mentally relaxed. I just am not as sensitive, but I think all of it was just kind of this overstimulation, this over worry that, that made me feel, um, really uncomfortably like sensory and it, um, and who knows, it might've obviously, I mean, I didn't, wasn't very conscious of my thinking when I was a baby. So it it could just kind of, you know, in terms of crying, if there was a vacuum, so that could have played off with each other. But now I see that I don't have to kind of write it off. Oh, I'm just sensitive. I can't handle the arcade or loud, loud noises and bright lights. And that might not be my preference, but depending on my state of consciousness or my state of my mind, it's sometimes it's easy. Sometimes it's pleasurable and sometimes it's uncomfortable. Yeah. It's interesting to see how much our, our mind just wants to, to make sense of everything. So I can see a lot where like for a kid that's a little more sensitive to just basic things like, like sensory stimuli, you know, or, or when something scary happens and then that kind of heightens some sort of sensitivity, how then and this happens all the time, kids and adults, every human, like we feel something and here comes a brain in here to tell a story about it. And what does it mean? And why do I feel it? And like you said, especially as a kid, and unfortunately for a lot of adults, until we, until we see better, 
we just we just get so wrapped up in those explanations and stories, you know. But when you can see, oh, I'm just feeling something, and then here's a mind coming in to tell a story about it, it seems like it just changes so much. But you couldn't see that until you knew. Yeah. No, I couldn't see it, and I think I was also on hyper aware of people's perception of me or what I thought, you know, because I would be more sensitive. And then I would think, am I annoying somebody, you know, and try to kind of read their facial expressions or which would make me even more uncomfortable and less relaxed. <laughs> yeah. And, but. It's interesting too. Like when you're telling your story, there's so many overlaps with my childhood anxiety and yours. Um, and, uh, it, for whatever reason, this just popped in my head. But but when you're talking about like burglars coming and stuff, and you have kids, I think yours are probably roughly the same age as mine. But like I'll I'll be like walking with my daughter through the neighborhood, and uh, she said the other day like, "Oh, there's a white van. Like there's a white van thing. Like you're gonna get kidnapped, right?" When I was a kid, I don't know why this one didn't stick because I was the anxious kid in my family, so most things stuck with me. But for whatever reason, I never had a big kidnapping fear. But my sister did, and she was petrified of white vans. <laughs> and it's just funny, like how this white van thing, I don't know if this is universal, but it is here. Like in our neighborhood, all the kids are like, ooh, a white van, it's a kidnapper. And But they all have a different experience of that. You know, some will stay up at night and they're thinking there are white vans everywhere. And then like my daughter just said it like a joke and just brushed it off. And <sighs> it's just crazy to see, you know, and it does, it makes you sort of, it's not that we're born anxious, but we definitely... Definitely just minds just have a minds just have a life of their own and they just glob onto things. And then we just get so easily wrapped up in these imaginary stories and fantasies that, you know, like you said, it's just impossible to see for what they are. Yeah. It's impossible to see until you do. And then you can't even imagine. Yeah. You know, and I was thinking of a, a very similar thing of how also somebody might see a white van and get nervous about a kidnapper at some point in their life, but then they can have an insight and it can totally change. And I was thinking I was eating nachos, which is like one of my favorite foods. I don't know if you, I mean, meals. Um, and when I was very disordered with my eating, I, I never ate chips. I just was like, I would just avoid them. I didn't even, I'm like, who would waste this, you know, and I had all these ideas about nachos and um, I was eating them yesterday and I just have a completely different. Yeah you on them just as I might on, on driving or flying or with, you know, having the windows open. And I think for people with anxiety, they don't ever have to feel stuck because, um, and I know they can't imagine it, but it's like something can shift and they can eat nachos with ease. They can drive with ease. They can yeah. <laughs> apply and, to jobs and anything. Yeah. And when you're in it, of course, you can't see that that's going to be a possibility for you. Of course, that's part of it, right? When you're in it, it just looks like this is just how it is. And I'll probably be this way forever. But I think that's so big to see. I mean, there's so many, and we just grow out of things. Sometimes we have insights and sometimes we just grow out of things, you know, and you find yourself loving nachos. Yes. Yeah. It really is growing out of it too, which I think makes it seem easier because I think sometimes people, when they're in it, yeah, they, they can't see it. They're, they just can't imagine their life yeah, differently or their experience of something that's making them anxious differently. Yeah, that's really big because I think it just helps us hold it so much more lightly and just know like this is just the, the experience of it, thought is bringing to me right now. But that's always, always changing, even when we swear it won't. <laughs> and 
We all have a million examples of that that we're probably blind to because they're so commonplace. We don't even remember them. Yes, exactly. I love how you talked about too that um, like things like the eating issues and, and all of that being um, kind of muddled with anxiety, I think is how you said it. And I just think for someone who's had a lot of diagnoses and, and me too, a handful, like in the whole derealization thing too, I hear from a lot of people where that's not as common as like panic disorder or orthorexia or maybe it's as common as that, but like an eating issue or whatever. And so they're like, oh, this is different. You know, everyone, everything we all feel feels like it's a different thing. So yeah, say a little bit about how you kind of have come to see that although all these things have separate labels and separate ways they show up, they're really not that separate. Well, it's all our thoughts about it. You know, it's my the thoughts about feeling off and disconnected from my from reality. You know, my it's because we can have our experience. And if we only just had our experience, but when which is easier said than done, or it can seem that way, but yeah. to, you're listening, it, it actually is easy. But so to experience derealization or to experience a panic attack or to experience um, whatever your heart beating quickly. It's not that it's, we layer on all these thoughts on it. So that's how derealization is the same. You know, for now, I don't really experience it a lot. Um, But if I do, um, my thinking about it is so different before I was much more in the habit of, or my, you know, personal mind was in the habit of, of making up all these stories, freaking out, jumping to the worst case scenario and, you know, and thinking like, what does this mean? Am I going to go insane and having a hyper-focus on it? And that can be the same if I then, my heartbeat was beating fast or I had a headache. You know, I see the process of of it all. I see the cycle of it all. And I also, I see derealization before I would have had, you know, I know that when say we, our heart is beating quickly, that's because we had some thinking going on and our body took that as a signal to get our body ready for fight or flight. And so it's like, okay, I'm like, I understand that. Or even chest pains, like our body thinks we're in danger. So it's tightening it up to protect our internal organs. And for a little bit with derealization, I'm like, I see no good thing of making me feel crazy, of making me feel separated from reality. But then I did see, but of course, if I was in such a state of anxiety and such a state of having such a busy, scared mind that you know, my brain or universal mind or this beautiful intelligence is like, Hey, I'm going to take you away from reality. I'm going to make it look like you're looking in on your life, or I'm going to make you feel a bit removed so that I can better handle that storm or that experience. And so now I see it as my body's always looking out for me, even though that seems so strange. And somebody might be like, what are you even talking about? But when I really saw that my body's always looking out for me or my body, my brain, my mind, like I'm so much safer and it's nothing to fear. Everything is nothing to fear. Yeah. Yeah. It's so huge when you start to see the intelligence behind all of those things. And it just, yeah, it's, um, it all has good reason. We just don't know the reason. And I love to think that just about life in general, like not that there's a reason for everything or that I want to even believe there's a reason for everything, but like it just looks in a really huge picture, like, there's not mistakes happening. I mean, it takes a human mind to call something a mistake, right? A mistake is a thought. So same with physical, same with like derealization, like, oh, this is a bad thing. I shouldn't be feeling this way. Well, that 
has to be thought, right? Yeah, yeah. And also over time, I mean, experiencing derealization for the first time, I guess it was 10 years ago. You know, when I did, it was like, I wasn't present in that experience. My thoughts were ahead of thinking of the future. What's next? What is, you know, am I going to, am I on the brink of insanity? Like what, is this going to get worse? Is this going to get scarier? And now I know, no, that that's just it. You know, it doesn't, it's not one day I'm one moment I'm saying and the next I'm, I'm insane and I don't need to kind of brace for it or layer on all these, this thought on it. So I think just my understanding of, of anxiety and of derealization or of any depersonalization um, allows me to, if it does pop up to just be present with that experience, right. You know, and my personal mind, I guess might still maybe be talking and giving its opinion of like, maybe it's going to be worse this time. Um, Cause mine often came when I was driving. And so, um, but now it just can be more just in the background, you know, and I don't need to have, a completely silent mind or a completely peaceful experience 24 hours a day, you know, before I think my, my tolerance for anxiety or mind chatter, I was, I thought that I needed to, to live my life in a way to like, or there was some way that I could live it. Okay. I'm going to be peaceful. I'm going to be calm all the time. And now, yeah, my baseline level of peace is much higher, but I can still have like mind chatter, feel a little bit strange at times. And I don't, doesn't have the same like stress response. You know, I don't think I have an adrenaline response to it, which makes me just kind of be able to weather that storm more easily. Yeah. So there are a couple things that I think are really interesting that um, people tend to, when I work with people with anxiety, they, they tend to, of course, our mind makes exceptions out of everything. Well, this one's different. This one's different for this reason. And so one, like you just mentioned fear of driving. And I think also the health anxiety, orthorexia stuff. Like what I often hear, and, and maybe you have experience with this too, is is people getting, departing from just the, the fact that there's just energy happening. When we feel anxious, there's a lot of energy and there's a racing mind, right? But they're kind of, as we do, like leaving the basics of that and kind of going up into the content of it. So people I think will say, oh, but on the road, I could kill someone, <laughs> right? Which is, a, which is not happening. So it's our imagination still coming up with a story. But, it, but for some reason, it's like it feels bigger or like with the health stuff, like, yeah, but I really might be having a heart attack or yeah, but healthy food is better. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, they see it in this black or white way. So I'm curious how, yeah, like what you've seen around some of that stuff. Yes, I've definitely seen that. And I think it's, and I say this with so much love, but people arguing for their limitations or thinking, but I actually have a chronic health condition or I have this. And sure, we can. We can argue all the time, but it is, as you said, it still is, it still is our thoughts, you know, but like that I, I have to be, I have to be a certain, I have to feel a certain way to be safe to drive, you know, and it, it's not like we suddenly don't like, you know, and I people couldn't see me as I did that, that we don't suddenly like swerve and run over and, and hit people. Yeah. Um, that also it's even if we have intrusive thoughts while we're driving or even an intrusive image or an urge, that's we're still not going to act on that. There's still this higher part of us that's actually in control. And I think that's what people can forget sometimes. Yeah. And also that they're going to be much 
that in terms of the health stuff that I think anxiety can make some people feel like they're, they're monitoring their health. They're keeping themselves safe. They're keeping their loved ones safe. I know that was the case for me and they get afraid. Well, if I'm not as anxious, what if I miss something? What if I don't act quick enough? You know, whether it's in the state of a heart attack or a more slower developing thing. But the truth is actually we're much better able to catch things, to act quickly when we're somewhat mentally relaxed, you know, that we're not, it's going to be easier to tell, is this a heart attack? Is this, is this something that I should see a doctor about when you're not caught up in your thoughts? You're actually better. You're going to take better care of yourself. Um, when you're not so caught up in your thinking, when you are relaxed, you're still going to also, then it's so much better for us physically and mentally in terms of all the stuff going on. But I do see that, that people will, one, that they'll think they're the worst, <laughs> you know, they're like, okay, they're the exception. This has worked for me or for other people, but somehow their, their worries, their anxiety, maybe their obsessions, their compulsions are so much worse. And so but that's never the case. <laughs> yeah. And to see that it's like, like when our mind jumps to these, yeah, buts, you know, just to kind of, like you mentioned earlier, see, see the process in that. It's not like, like a mind can jump to a yeah, but about anything. So <laughs> it may be easier or more, uh, who knows, but like it's, you know, there's something really tangible right there if you're driving and there's a very visual yeah, but, oh my gosh, I feel like I'm out of control. Therefore, I'm likely to crash my car and kill someone. But just because that's a very tangible imaginary scenario, <laughs> it's very easy to imagine that has nothing to do with the reality of the situation, you know? So I think, I don't know, I think just to notice, I always talk about like kind of staying out of the content. The content is so sticky. If you try to talk someone through their anxieties and you're up in the content, right? It's a mess. Because like you said, we can argue, our minds will argue like crazy for the content, but it's kind of seeing that process. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, the content can make you, you know, especially with intrusive thoughts or your mind, um, using its imagination, not in the best way. Um, but yeah, if you step back and it's like, yeah, that's just what minds do. Yeah. It thinks it's keeping you safe, yeah. but also knowing, okay, yeah. If you think, well, what if I crash my car? All right. We'll just stay present and your wisdom will pull you over if you are in such a state that you, yeah. you've gotten it. So you would benefit from pulling over and settling down. You know, yeah. you'll do that, you know? And I think when I, when I, it was a really big moment for me when I realized that my wisdom got me through every panic attack that I had, that I didn't need to plan. I didn't need to prepare. I didn't need to be vigilant because, or when I had my first panic attack, I had no idea. I mean, I knew I'd heard of a panic attack, obviously, but I had never experienced one or one with derealization. And I pulled over on the freeway. I found a place to park. I called my mom, my psychiatrist at the time. Like it, it got me through it. And when I talk with clients, when their kind of worst fears have happened, whether sometimes I work with a lot of people that will have a fear of throwing up. And when they talk about that time that they did throw up and all these horrible things happened, it actually isn't that bad. But I'm like, well, walk me through it. And they handle it so well. You know, one woman was on the plane and she, the person next to her was uncontrollably throwing up and she had a panic attack. And my client is the one that had a panic attack. But then I'm like, well, tell me more. And she's like, well, then I I got my seat changed and I started talking to the guy next to me and I settled down. So I'm like, it doesn't sound that bad. She's like, I guess it's not. And it had been years that she had been fearing, you know, throw up in every different type of situation. Not that you need to go back and like go to the root, but 
it's interesting. It's like, oh, but you got through that, you know? And when I realized, oh, I got through everything. I don't need to prepare. I don't even need to be on guard. It was so freeing. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. So how was it when you, how was your like uh, waking up to this, Ben? Was it, was it quick? Was, has it been very gradual? Like when you first heard something that, that sounded or felt different from what you had been doing? Yeah. What was that process like? When I first heard it, it was, I think it was a huge shift. It was like, say maybe 50% of my journey, you know, which was a lot of it realizing there's a lot less for me to do. Um, maybe I didn't need to try so hard. And maybe actually that would be, I think I started fearing my experience left and I less. And a huge part of me was driving in the panic attacks that really impacted my ability to get to work. And then I would get to work if I made it in such an agitated, agitated state. And I saw something that made it easier for me to live. But I, um, but my journey has just gone so much deeper now that um, I guess it's in a way been slow. Um, you know, so I guess I'm, I think it was quick and that it really transformed. Maybe it was like 70, 50 to 75, not that I need to have a number to it, but really just changing my overall approach to life you know, but it, I guess it slowly started to fall away in that I wasn't as regimented about my sleep. So my, in terms of driving would start, I don't know, the whole day would kind of be around that. But I guess if I'm starting off at night, I would be afraid to have the blue light from the TV, you know? And so I was married at this time and I had first learned about the three principles and I would wear blue light blocking glasses, but also just have a lot of thinking about watching TV because I thought I needed to really optimize my sleep. So I would just kind of be probably creating a lot of anxiety with my thoughts, even if we were watching TV, because then I'd think, what's wrong with you? You're not connecting enough. And, but I know, but I need to be in bed because I need to, I should be sleeping by 10 because the best hour. So I just had all this thinking. Yeah. And so then when I would be sleeping and then in the morning, I would think, well, I need to meditate and I need to exercise in a certain way. And I need to make sure I'm really well fed. And I still just was very precious about my life, you know, kind of thinking that I was somehow different. Other people could. I don't know, more like fly by the seat of their pants, but I was like needed to kind of be handled with kid gloves in a way. So that slowly started to fall away. But I think it really was maybe honestly, after two years, it was just like effortless, you know, that I might, how it changed my relationship with food and, and movement and sleep. Um, You know, I think it started getting easier, but I still think like I needed to sleep. And I used to wear like not that there's anything wrong with this, just in the way, because I think it's the spirit that we do it in, but I would have like a weighted blanket and an eye mask and earplugs. And I was just very precious because I was so afraid if I didn't get enough sleep, what if I felt off, you know, and feeling off to me was, I had a lot of thinking about it. It was tied to the realization and this fear of losing control. And, and I was just very on guard. And so I guess that part of my journey was was slow. I mean, I guess I, I started realizing that I was much more mentally healthy than I thought, but my belief in that has just gotten so much more solid. I'd say over the past like two, two and a half years, and it just continues to go deeper and I continue to be more free with my life. I mean, it's easy to see how when, when there's that much trying to manage everything 
And that takes so much effort, so much energy, ironically, right? You're trying to keep yourself alert so you can feel good and be healthy and all of this and so much energy and effort and goes into that. And it's all driven by fear. So like, eat, like I, that's what I, I think a lot of times um, you hear something, something strikes you where it's like, oh, maybe all of this isn't so necessary. Maybe I'm more okay than I think I am. And like you said, sometimes it feels like, wow, that was like 50% of the way or that was because you, you know, a little bit goes a long way when there's that much going on. And it's awesome because then you get this amazing feeling of like, oh my gosh, it doesn't have to be so hard. And then it snowballs in a nice direction. It's a, you know, we're used to it snowballing in a, it feels like it snowballs in a, in a negative direction when you have anxiety, but our freedom can start to snowball in a positive direction. Yes. Yeah. And so I think it's been a slower snowball because it was like a big fast one if, you know, halfway there of, and not that I'm all the way there. I, I honestly think I continue. And I guess I hesitate in that, like my life has gone through a lot of changes in this time too, and that I got separated and divorced and moving and starting and then a pandemic. Um, but throughout that all, and I would have been able to handle it because I'm always so much stronger than we think, but I handled or I lived it. I experienced it with much more ease because I wasn't so caught up in my thinking. And I even saw somebody that was saying they were moving and they just moved in with their boyfriend. So they said, we're either going to get married or this is going to be very messy. And I'm moving in with my boyfriend this week and I just got divorced or not that long ago. And I thought it wasn't very messy. You know, and I just don't even have the same thinking and we, we will get married, but it's, it's interesting. And I'm sure that person was also just making a silly video, but before I would have, you know, yeah. I guess life doesn't have to be messy, even when outwardly it looks like, oh wait, you were divorced. And, right. and I feel like the messiness is, um, is optional, you know, or the suffering is optional. And that's where I feel like my journey just continues to go deeper because life happens. Um, but like throughout the pandemic, I never had any health anxiety, you know, and I think I had people talking about the exceptions, but it's a pandemic, you know, and all these, which I know was, was challenging for people that had contamination worries or had health worries to begin with. And then here was a global pandemic. Um, but I think health anxiety is optional. Um, not that people are ever choosing it intentionally, but I don't think pandemic has to equal anxiety or yeah. a part in a relationship has to equal mess or has to equal anxiety. I mean, they're really, yeah, they're really independent and they might be correlated at times. Like, but that doesn't mean that one causes the other. You know what I mean? I saw yeah. that a lot too, where people with health anxiety, interestingly, yes, yeah, some had a really tough time with some of the things happening, but I saw almost as many people I feel say like, it's a pandemic and, and for some reason, I'm not that worried about catching COVID, but I'm worried about this. <laughs> or like people saying, I'm scared to death of the vaccine, but I'm not so worried, you know, or whatever it is. And it's like, we all know the logic doesn't match up. There is no real logic here, you know, but it is so, I feel like it's been a very insightful time for people, especially with a lot of anxiety to kind of notice like, where's your mind now? Because if a pandemic isn't going to give put you in an, in a uh, permanent state of health anxiety, then the outside world ain't doing it. Then what would? <laughs> you know what I mean? And people could notice little things like that. So I think that's kind of a cool, uh, it's been a cool opportunity, I think, hopefully for people to see that. Yes, yes, I agree. 
And same with, like you said, when big stuff in life happens, like, oh my gosh, in a span of two years or whatever, I got divorced and moved and all the life stressors, right? That are supposed to break us to be able to look back and say, yeah, there were hard moments and easy moments. There were moments where it was no big deal. There were moments where I thought I was dying, but that was true before all this, before change. Yeah. I actually find that when I have clients that kind of their worst fears come true, they actually handle it so much better and they feel good. Whether it was like, I got COVID and my whole family got COVID um, or I was stung by a bee, you know, if they had allergic reactions or I ate something and I had an allergic reaction or so-and-so throw up, threw up and they like, they're like, I, I handled it, you know, and, and not to they handle it, they handled it with ease. Um, and I think that can cause your journey to go deeper when you realize, oh my gosh, I just had all of this thinking about it. And when something actually happens, I, <laughs> yeah, I make my way through it. That's really cool. I see that too. Like if you're, you're worst for a lot of people that I've talked with, it's like one of their parents dying or something and then their parent passes away. And, but they notice that so much of this anxiety was just the anticipation of something. Then when that person dies, it's like, there's all the feelings, but there's almost a sense of, I think, freedom of like, wow, I don't have to worry about this killing me anymore. You know, I don't have to worry about the effect of this anymore. Yeah. Well, because it's almost like we can't actually really imagine it when our mind is trying to think, well, how would you handle it? How would you feel? How would you feel? And underneath that, we mistakenly think we're going to be in this state of emotional suffering forever. And then when you're actually in it, you experience the ebb and flow of it, of sometimes forgetting and, and, you know, forgetting the pain that of your parent passing. um, And you just are more present to that experience rather than stuck in that anticipation or that rumination of trying to answer all your mind's questions and anticipate how you might feel and what you might do. And that's more maddening because you just, you can't, and you can never really satisfy your mind in that anxious state. Yeah. Yeah. So how is it, do you see a lot of kids with anxiety now since you're with kids every day and everyone's saying that anxiety amongst children is kind of through the roof. I'm curious what you're seeing around that. Yes. And I, you know, I'm, I'm the lead school psychologist in my district. So I did a lot of supervision. So I had some students, I saw some students that, um, but I, I don't know if I have the best beat on our people, you know, our kids experience anxiety more. I did have, so I had some of my students that I'd seen for years and years that I kept, but I would supervise interns and other people, but there is definitely Ironically, like, I don't know if I see a huge, a huge increase on my end. I had some students that if they were more impacted by COVID, maybe there was some more of that or some more fears of going back to school and, or it's being a change, whether they were excited. Um, But, and I have my own kids and they don't actually, I mean, experience anxiety out of maybe the typical average thought. But so I feel like on my end, I'm not the best (laughs) judge on, is there an overwhelming increase in anxiety? Um, I think a lot of my, my clients are all adults. Yeah. When you, when you do see, like when your kids feel anxious or like if you were to though, I guess it's, um, I don't know. I just feel like there's a way that we can talk to kids that you must feel like knowing that you can talk to kids, having been through this, seeing what anxiety is the way that you do, um, that just feels so different 
you know, and so relatable because so helpful to them because when we're, and again, kids are no different from adults, but it's like what our society sort of does is we just keep complicating everything, like looking out and talking about reasons and things we can't control. And to do that to a poor little kid too, where it already looks so complicated and overwhelming. So I just think it's so great that you have that simplicity to come from. Yes. And I think that's what made me want to actually start practicing or sharing the three principles outside of my work as a school psychologist, because when I learned about it and saw how simple it was, and I'd already been sharing a version of that, you know, or the insights that I saw, which were just simple. And I think that's why I like sharing with kids. I would see like this ease, this relief, and I would, you know, disclose appropriately whether it was about an intrusive thought. So they would come in and, you know, I think, I don't know if I'd heard of the three principles before, but some student that I worked with had a lot of anxious thoughts about even just having a girlfriend and, you know, and a lot of personal mind chatter going on. And I kind of just shared, oh, the process of it rather than getting caught up in the thoughts. And it was like really simple. And so I would see how the simplicity was the key. And I got excited of like seeing, sharing that in a very, very easygoing way, how it was really relatable and really, um, I don't know, transformative. That seems kind of overblown, but like, oh, and I was excited to share it with, with adults. Cause yeah, I think we can overcomplicate it. And, and I think it's something that we intuitively know too, you know, with my son, for example, he got stung by a bee a few months ago for the first time. So then he had some thinking about bees and we were in the a pool over spring break and there was a bee. And so he got out and kind of his thoughts ruined his fun. And then later when we were in the bath, he said, you know what? my thoughts about the bee hurt more than the bee sting. Mm. And I'm like, yeah, that's exactly right. Um, It's our thoughts about it. And, and so often when I just talk to kids and let them share, they'll have this beautiful, um, beautiful example that they're share. And I used to use a lot of art. I loved, I used to want to be an art therapist and, so when I would work with a lot of younger kids, I would let them, you know, I would somehow, I, they would draw and we would talk about it and answer questions and, and they would just solve it. Not that there was something to solve, but they would solve it themselves, you know, and it was like, just so, so simple. So I think I often actually use, there's this great um, kind of curriculum of sorts called my guide inside that's three principles based. And I'll share the first force first four lessons with adults that I work with because they're just so beautiful and they're so simple. So I think there's such beauty and power in a simplicity. Yeah. I love that. That's great. Awesome. I love this conversation. Thank you so much for coming on. Thank you for having me. Yeah. It's so cool to hear. I really hope people are hearing again that all these things that can feel so separate and different show up in different ways and at different times of our lives. And in so, you know, it just, our, our mind is just wants to grab onto the complexity and the differences and all the surface level stuff. But, but to see the way that you've seen that just a little misunderstanding about thought, a little fear of our experience is behind all of it. And that's all it ever is. <laughs> it's like so powerful. So I think, I'm sure you're on this path if and I'm sure you're there already where you can kind of look back and say like, wow, in some ways I'm so grateful for all these little things that popped up because it gave you this way to just see things so deeply. Yes. And I don't think people actually have to target all these areas to have freedom and relief 
and peace and contentment from them. You know, having these insights transformed my relationships and my relationship with food and my body and movement far more than when I was doing targeted stuff, you know, and my self-love. And I never went out to treat health anxiety, you know, but through the insights that I had regarding, I guess, cause I went searching for like, I need to drive with more eats. Like I don't want this panic attacks and things just started to fall away as you know. And I know you say that again, when we have insights, our behavior changes as a result. So we don't need to go and say, well, these are the behaviors that I want to change. These are the goals. We just show up, listen with an open mind, have some insights. Sometimes they're just so small and then things start to fall away. And so I'm incredibly grateful because I know it allows me to be just much more peaceful and content and in every area of my life. And I, not just the panic and derealization that I kind of was at that moment, desperate to fix, you know, it's the, my life is so much easier. I, I could go on and on about that, but and it's, there's, I'm not doing hard work and I'm, it's able to, I'm able to have this baseline level of peace, kind of a solid foundation throughout a divorce and a pandemic and living with my parents in a pandemic, which was lovely too. And, but you know, all of these things where sometimes it's like, well, I'm okay until this happens. And I think right. my, I feel like my mental well being is pretty unshakable at this point even if I feel anxious at times. Yeah, that's amazing. Awesome. Thank you so much, Lily. Thank you, Amy. If you want a change story like the one you just heard about from Lily, join us in the Little School of Big Change. The fall class begins in just six weeks on August 30th. 98% of people who've gone through the six-week course say they're happy with their choice. And 95% say that what they saw in the school put them on the path to lasting change. Just go to the littleschoolofbigchange.com to save your seat. You'll also save $47 when you enroll before August 30th. I would so love to spend this fall with you, have you in class, and to see how things change for you.